Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 212. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today, talking about video games. I did it. We did it. Me and Anthony did it. Me and my friend. Um, we finished It Takes Two, finally. We we put it down for, like, I feel like a month or two. Um, I think both of us just got really tired of that game. If, if you heard me talk about that game before, you might be kind of surprised to hear that. Um, because I was actually pretty positive on the game initially. If you don't know what, what It Takes Two is, basically, uh, it's an EA game that's that's put out by, I think it's Hazelight Studio or something like that. It's the actual developer. And uh, they made A Way Out, which is a prison escape game that came out uh, a handful of years back that was very much focused on a co-op experience. Even if you play online, you have to play it split screen, uh, and you can't play it by yourself either. You have to play with another person. So, so it was a very fun game that I really enjoyed at the time. Um, but it takes two... I started off this game really enjoying it and thinking it was a better game probably than A Way Out. At least mechanically, it definitely is in terms of how it plays and things like that. But there's a real pacing problem with this game, I think. Um, And both the story aspect and also the gameplay aspect as well. When it comes to the story, you know, this is a very straightforward story about like a... You know, couple getting divorced, and then there's like a little girl that they have, their their daughter, um, that uh, is kind of in between it, and then so obviously she kind of, you know, is is like, oh no, is it my fault? She has like this weird accent, despite the parents not having any accent at all. <laughs> but but there's this little girl there, and she's just like, you know, all upset that her parents are getting divorced, and then so uh, at some point she wishes that their, their their relationship would be fixed, and the the parents get turned into two dolls, so they have to go through it like this kind of toys to life world where your little little doll characters in a big world with like you know everyday house objects being enemies and like parts of the environment and things like that so it's a very very whimsical game in terms of its world design and things like that um but the story is very very straightforward it literally is just these characters are going to start out not liking each other and they're going to kind of verbally abuse each other throughout the story a bit uh, you know, just really worried about making sure they can get back, turned back into people. Um, and then eventually, you know, as time goes on, as they go through these trials and tribulations of, of this new or this tiny, in their tiny forms in the big world, I guess, um, it, it, it brings them closer together. And, and the storyline is just very point A to B with not really anything in between it. Like, like, there's there's just not a lot going on like i think what they're trying to do is try to get you to learn more about these characters and and you know why they had problems in this relationship with each other and and kind of see both sides of of what they're trying to their feelings about um um different different parts of their lives and things like that but none of it really feels substantial in a way that makes it feel like it's like a steady story progression it just feels like you're basically seeing these people like chum up to each other a bit more and then at the end it's like okay like now now we respect each other and and we realize that we don't hate each other nearly as much as we thought we did kind of thing so it's a very very straightforward story that doesn't really feel very um like satisfying and it's, it's weird to say that because when you think about the events that happen from point A to B, they are very extreme events. They're very kind of, maybe not unique is the right word, but the very playful events that happen. Like there's moments where you have these like military squirrels who are like, you know, fighting these wasps and, and like trying to, I, I think they're just trying to like commit genocide against the wasp basically. 
Um, and then also you have stuff like you're, you're torturing a stuffed animal to try to get them to help you come become a human again. And like the stuffed animal is just like screaming and crying while you two, you know, <laughs> perfectly sane adults are just like torturing this little thing being like, it's okay. We're just going to kill you but it's going to help us out <laughs> kind of thing. You're just a doll. It's fine. Um, so, so it does like these very uh, interesting and intense events in between the story, but like just because the, the overall like framing of that story and, and, and what is kind of like the landmarks of that story as you go through are, are very, very weak. Um, and the characters just don't really develop in any significant way. I, I think it's a little, a little too shallow to be, be anything interesting. Um, I think there's one thing that you could say is that if you were a kid who had parents who divorced and you had a hard time going to that divorce, maybe you'd be a little sympathetic for the girl kind of in between. Who's like, Oh no, it's my fault. Mommy and daddy can't have a relationship kind of thing. Um, and, and my parents divorced, but I, it, I never really had that kind of thing. Like I was very distant from the, my, my, my family's divorce. So it's, it's a little, um, it didn't really do a lot for me personally. So it's just like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, the little girl's going to blame herself because that's a kid being a kid. Uh, and I, I definitely knew people like that, um, when I was a kid who, who ended up in those situations. But me as a kid, I just, I was too busy playing fancy star online, baby. <laughs> Anyways, but, uh, so yeah, story-wise, it just doesn't feel great. And I think that is very much true for the gameplay as well. Like structurally, the gameplay is very sound, um, and, and there's actually a lot of variety in the gameplay too. You're doing a lot of different things, which is something I, if you've listened to this podcast before, I am somebody who very much appreciate, appreciates, but, um, I think the problem is again, the overall wider structure of that game is just very shallow. So, so, so to give you an idea of what kind of stuff you're doing in the game, basically there's a lot of platforming. There's a lot of like shooter kind of segments or, or like puzzling elements where you have to like one of the earliest examples, like you have to throw nails and where you throw those nails will basically allow, you know, platforms to stay up or you can use it to like swing around. But it's like these very scripted kind of scenarios that you use these things. So like, even though they might give you an interesting looking ability, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity for you as the player to play around with those abilities in any way. Um, so, so it's a lot of stuff like that. And the, the, the structure of how they want you to use these skills, despite you again, doing very different things between these, these different, um, elements, uh, the, the structure of how they challenge you with these skills is very similar every single time. So it's like, okay, you're going to get your new skill. You're going to play around with it a little bit so you can learn about it. And then we're going to put you in a scenario where you have to help the other player with your skill. Um, and then at that point you might have to do something a bit more complicated where both of you use it together. And then they take the skill away from you, rinse and repeat kind of thing. And even, so I think the problem is, is that even though each of these like individual compartments of things you're doing, um, are like different from each other. The core elements of how you're actually implementing these skills and, and how you're solving problems in the world are very, very similar. And there's just, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of variety. And I think it really gets really dull over time. It's like, okay, we got to do this thing. You go do this, you go do that. You go get to that point and use your skill on that thing. And then I'll get to this point, use my skill on that thing. And, and I just think it's, it's, it's weirdly, um, it's really stale despite them trying very hard to keep it, you know, have a lot of variety. Um, I think part of this is, 
between both the story and and the gameplay is the fact that it doesn't really feel like anything you're doing is amounting to something. Um, let, returning to A Way Out a little bit, uh, A Way Out is a game that is a prison escape game that you're going very much to go get revenge on this person. And everything you're doing in that story is kind of leading up to that. And it's like things like, okay, you're gonna, you're running away from the cops. Okay, you're going to shoot those cops kind of thing. Um, you know, you're going to, you know, you need river daft, raft down this this uh, river so you can kind of get to like the city so you can get, you know, some money and, and travel. So there, there's always felt like there's a purpose to what you were doing. You know, it's not something you think a lot about, I feel like, in most games. But but there is, like, making sure you feel like what you're doing is, is purpose has a purpose and it doesn't just feel like kind of random stuff you're doing. I feel like... oh. It takes two. A lot of it is just like kind of random stuff. Like, yes, you are you are having this really kind of crazy scene where you have these two, you know, grown adults uh, basically torturing a doll to get information out of them so they can they can turn back into humans and like, sorry, we just got to kill you. That's just like what we got to do now kind of thing. It's really goofy stuff like that. But it, it just does not really... There's not enough points in what's happening throughout the story that what is going on in terms of the individual problems you're solving in each area of the game relates to you getting back together. Like the the whole war between the squirrels and the wasps or whatever. That's like a funny thing that's in that game and it's, it's, it's kind of a fun thing to follow. But when it amounts to how does this actually relate to anything doing with the fact that, you know, the parents are getting divorced and this daughter's having this trauma kind of thing, it doesn't relate to it in any way, basically. So, so it just feels like everything feels disconnected. And, and, and the gameplay part feels very much that way, too, where it's just you're doing this action and this action makes sense within this individual context but it doesn't always make sense on how you're getting from point A to point B kind of thing. And I, I think it just messes that pacing a lot. So anyways, um, I definitely think it's a game that if you like a way out and, and if you're interested in like two player co-op stuff, it's probably worth like taking a look at, especially if you're like, are okay, not beating a game, because I think if you get like two thirds of the way through the game, you're probably going to be good. The rest of it after the one third, I feel like is when it really starts to show its cracks um, after, after a bit. Uh, but I think it is worth looking at if you're into those kind of things. But uh, I, it's not like a way out where I feel like a way out is like a really solid experience from beginning to end with the exception of I don't like the ending of a way out so much. But but overall, like the actual game itself is, is really solid. So takes two. Pretty all right. Weirdly enough, probably a better playing game than a way out. But I would say overall, when you can consider everything that that game is, uh, I think probably a, a step down from from a way out, unfortunately, in, in, in some ways. So. Joseph Ferrath, the guy who uh, is, I believe, the director of the game. He's kind of the face of Hazelight Studios who worked on this game. Um, <laughs> he promised that if anybody gets bored of this game, he'll give them $1,000. And I was like, well, how how do we contact Joseph? <laughs> I cannot find any of his social media stuff. Not that I would actually expect that out of him. I just thought it was it was a funny thing. It was like, does he give you, like, does he actually have a way for you to get in contact with him about that? Because I'm sure that is 100% a bluff. Uh, that, that he said that uh but yeah joseph you're listening send me that check <laughs> um we also finished up uh the dirt of cerberus this week on stream and and we did a community review for dirt of cerberus so i don't want to get like too deep into any individual aspects of it um we are i'm still trying to get those community reviews in some form on the youtube i thank you guys for your patience on that just because like i i've been busy with a lot of things unfortunately 
And the biggest bottleneck still always is time. Those things just take time, and I would love to do them, but they're just not the most important things for getting stuff moved forward. Right now, I want to finish up working on featured videos, which we'll get back to that topic once we get to the end of this podcast, probably. Um, but one thing that we did do while we were playing through Dirge of Cerberus was we went out of our way in the final release in Japan, the Ultimate Edition, or whatever it's called, Ultimate something. It's it's the it's the second release of Dirge of Cerberus in Japan. Um, they added on uh, some of the key cutscenes from the game's online mode that was only on, online for probably about like nine months to a year. Um, so the game basically required you to have a PS2 hard drive and you could play the game online in the original release of the game. The, 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 the secondary release happened after the game servers were shut down. So they basically added these offline or these cutscenes offline so you could watch them if you want to kind of thing. Um, I, there's not a lot I can say about that. Uh, just from the actual... Like, there's a subtitled version of it online, so if you are interested in what, what happened in there, you can go look up Dirge of online subtitles or something like that, and you'll find it. Um, and the story is kind of... It's kind of neat in some ways, but but I don't want to get, like, too in-depth into it. I think what really stood out to me was just um, learning about kind of the d- dynamics of the enemy group in that um, that uh, that world, because Deep Ground is kind of the, the, the main group that you're kind of attacking essentially or rather they're attacking you and you have to go go take them out essentially um but but learning about like how their ranks work and how their like dynamics work and what their internal conflicts are is kind of a a neat thing and then also you as the player as as a creative character in that online mode kind of how you fit into that and, and 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 how you fit into you know the struggle for for certain groups of people within that trying to release themselves from from some com- captivity, essentially, kind of thing. So it's actually kind of neat. What I th- what really stood out to me though was the cutscenes are actually fairly well produced overall. There's not a ton of them. It's about 40 minutes of cutscenes basically, um, but a lot of the later cutscenes have a lot of really good action in them, well animated action, and they're like r- weirdly violent. Like there's a lot of just like you as the player getting kicked around, shoved against the wall. There's people getting stabbed. And, and like, I don't feel like the the main game ever really like went that far in terms of violence. But kind of the, the point of Deep Ground is that everybody's very, uh, I guess it's survival of the fittest kind of thing. So like even like individual soldiers within the, within Deep Ground will like end up just killing each other just to kind of prove that they can kind of thing. And it seems like encouraged essentially. So, so it makes sense that they went that direction. Um, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed watching those. I had fun. You also get a really nice look at the, uh, character creator models for the online mode so you can see like the different outfits that they had in that there's like chocobo hats there's like some weird looking armors and you can also see their like very low detailed faces compared to everybody else in the game (laughs) they're they're just you know it's it's the final fantasy 11 thing where like you have your very high quality uh faces on on certain key characters then you as the player character have this very basic face that's just like hello i'm the warrior of light I have the least polygon count in this game as well, so I look like one of the random NPCs in this world kind of thing, which I think is kind of a nice contrast, or a fun contrast, I guess I should say, um, for, for those older games. But reality is, is that, you know, they're trying to keep the game running well. You don't want, you know, 40 high quality, I don't know how many players it was, probably like, you know, I'd say probably 16 at most, probably. I don't, I don't remember the exact number of multiplayer uh room slots there were and things like that but you know there's a lot of people running around and shooting each other and, and you don't want to have the game chugging trying to render those uh those high those high quality pretty boys and, and pretty ladies uh in the final fantasy universe so very cool thing if you like the dirt to cerberus stream stuff i recommend going and just watching that stuff 
it's a fun little 40 minute you know thing uh the, the video quality of the subtitled one is a little a little iffy i did look around and there doesn't seem to be like an a, like a really good quality capture of those online cutscenes yet on the internet at least on youtube specifically um obviously youtube compression kind of comes into play with some of that um so i might be looking into trying to get something uploaded for that um i don't think it'd be too hard to do but i just need to like render it out at a higher resolution and it'll probably improve certain scenes specifically ones that aren't going to have a lot of effects and stuff you got like a lot of effects going on then obviously that youtube's going to do what youtube's going to do to that scene right so yeah um, speaking of Square Enix stuff, we pl- I played uh, Neo, uh, The World Ends With You, the demo for that. Um, I'm kind of, if you listen to the podcast before, I'm kind of mixed on this game. I don't really know how I feel about it. And and part of me playing this demo was me kind of hoping to kind of solidify, solidify my feelings on this game. Um, and I think I don't feel <laughs> like any, any better than I did before. Um, kind of my big concern with this game is... One of my favorite things about The World Ends With You is is the fact that it's on the DS in the first place. Like, I love the kind of multitasking aspect of that game, which if you don't know, the original game, you had basically two different play spaces on the bottom screen and the top screen, and it asks you actively in combat to, to manage both of those screens, play two different play styles on both screens, one being button controls, one being touch screens controls. It's a very hectic game that really isn't designed in a way that you're supposed to be able to play perfectly. You're kind of just managing both screens as best as you can kind of thing. So it's this very kind of weird, disconnected, different play style experience that you have. And it's really fascinating to see in this demo how they try to recreate that. Because obviously not being on the DS, they're kind of you know restricted to what traditional consoles would be. And I I think how they try to try to kind of replicate that replicate that feeling is through this system where you are technically controlling four characters and the demo you only control up to three but you technically are controlling a whole party um all at once but they're all kind of individual characters running around on the field but you all also say, share the same life bar um so it's this kind of weird thing where you are switching like every face button, or not really every face button. you have like four badges you equip and those badges depending on the type of badge they are will equip to different buttons on the controller so it'd be l l1 l2 or you know any of the l buttons r buttons or the face buttons on the controller so depending on what badge you have it'll utilize those different buttons essentially um so you are are you know, selecting these buttons, and when you do that, it will basically move that character into place, or or the camera will snap over to that character depending on the move and what its function is. So, so the it's kind of hectic because you don't really know who you're controlling, what and when. Um, but the other characters are also on the field, but they only act if you you tell them to act. So by using their badge, or I believe even if they if you dodge, they will dodge. But otherwise, they won't try to dodge on their own. They'll just kind of walk around and meander about. Um, uh, while you're while you're in combat and really you're spending a lot of this time all this game like mashing buttons I feel like at least in the demo like you're just kind of mashing all the inputs but the, but the kind of the point is is to um, set up like a combo with a character it seems like and that will basically create a vulnerability period where you can hit them with another character which will create a combo and then it builds up a groove meter and you can use that groove meter to do some extra damage um, I didn't really find a ton of use out of the groove meter. It definitely was there and, and, and I mean, it definitely is more damage and everything. So you don't, you want to use it if you get it. Um, but it, it just didn't really feel like a super important aspect of that game. Usually what, what felt more important was trying to keep the enemies kind of busy, which is part of like where that management aspect comes into play, where a lot of times in, in I think the original World Winds of Theo, it wasn't so much about, you know, um, 
effectively doing the most damage. It was about kind of effectively staving off damage to yourself so you can deal damage with one character or the other at a time and and kind of like just keep keep enemies busy and things like that. So so that can be through like juggling enemies basically or or just like kind of stun locking them with a bunch of like melee attacks and things like that. Um, so so they actually do a really interesting job of kind of creating that a very similar feeling experience. Um, also, it's worth mentioning that you have a team HP in this game. So when the characters are running around, it seems like they can take damage as well. So so you kind of have these characters running around that are out of your control who can also take damage too, which is I think kind of adds to that aspect. Um, I know some people don't like that about the original game. They, they think it's a little too much and it's too hard to kind of follow and they would say it's like bad because they can't really avoid taking damage. And I, I get that sentiment. I don't really agree. I think the hecticness is, is part of it, the game's appeal. If anything, that's the part of the game that stuck with me for so long. Um, I had a couple people reach out to me on Twitter, talk a little bit about like how they felt that the, the world design was maybe not off, but there was something that was, that was not really lining up between the original game and this game specifically around kind of, I guess the, the era of when the game was made and what they're trying to represent at the time versus what they're showing now and what they're trying to represent now with the game. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I don't remember the story of that game. I remember the music and I remember the general style, but like, I, I don't remember anything about the main character, Neku. Um, like, I mainly remember the gameplay mechanics. That is the part that stuck with me. Admittedly, you know, I, I played this well before I was, not well before, but, but you know, before I was really sitting down and writing and talking about games in a way that made me think about why I liked games, I just knew I liked that game for the most part. Um, but I think stylistically, this game is really spot on personally. Like, it looks like the world ends with you. I There's something weirdly DS feeling about the game, despite it not looking like a DS game at all. Um, just, I think something about, like, kind of the... The limitations of, of the kind of the world map and and the, the camera lock being locked. And there's also like this very like jet set radio look to it where it's like all these characters are kind of low polygon, but they got kind of this cell shaded look to them to some degree. Um, but it seems very much intentionally so. It doesn't really seem like it's a technical issue other than maybe they're trying to like, you know, uh, focus on the Switch in terms of its performance. I don't know for sure. I played the PS4 release, so I don't know how the Switch version performs. Um, but but I think that, that overall, it, it's very spot on and, and, th and that kind of visual design and kind of, even though it's a very different looking game from, from what the original game was in terms of, you know, the actual implementation of its art style and things like that, I think it's a very faithful game to that original game with a lot of, you know, stand-in portraits that change, you know, you know, they don't animate, but they like, you know, switch between different emotions and things like that. And just a lot of like very uh, flashy 2D graphics and things like that um, in the world itself. It, it, it feels like a, what a DS game would look like if it didn't have a lot of technical limitations. Uh, I think you could also make an argument that it kind of feels like a PSP or a Vita game to some degree as well. But I think really the, the challenge for me is just um, the gameplay just feeling like something's missing from it. Um, I don't know what that something is like. I think the problem might be is that because they went after that hectic style again and then didn't really replace it with something that, that specifically worked well with the controller, then maybe that has something to do with, with what I feel like is missing. Maybe I feel like they should have taken a different approach. Um, they do kind of try to vary up how you're using the buttons on the controller. So some might be like a hold and let go, hold and release. Some might be just like a spam the button kind of thing, or at least in the demo, that was kind of the two main ones was hold and release or spam the button. So how you're using the buttons on the controller, A, you're kind of spamming them all at once. At least that was my my scenario was I mostly was just kind of, you know, smacking them buttons down. Uh, but at the same time, um, 
it's it's a kind of a weird out of sync rhythm that I think is really trying to replicate what that original game was trying to do. So I think they were successful to some degree, but I think what might be missing is the thing that kind of elevates this over the other other games. So like, yes, the foundation of what they put there is there, but maybe it's missing some other additional mechanic to make this one in particular stand out might be my issue. Um, I think it's a good game though. I enjoyed playing it. And I think like, you know, I say this about a lot of games, but in a vacuum, I think I would play this game. I think this game more so than a lot of other games I would sit down and play. Um, but something about it's just not really clicking with me in any way. I don't know if I'll end up playing it. Um, I'm very much on the fence about picking it up, but I think ultimately I'm probably not going to pick it up, unfortunately, as much as I, I would like to. So We'll see. I I am I did have fun with it though. It, it is a good game, and I think if you're if you if you were really dying for a new The World Ends with You game over the last you know however long decade and a half I feel like at this point, um you know you you probably will be happy with this game. I think I think you will generally enjoy this game at the very least kind of thing, and, and it's definitely hitting all those notes. I feel like uh, from the demo so far again. Again, this is just the demo itself. I know like Scarlet Nexus, I was pretty down on that game's demo. I think there are other people who are fairly down on it as well, but it sounds like the final game came out and was like pretty well received overall. So, so I really need to look into more of like Scarlet Nexus opinions and see where, where people kind of landed on that. Cause I, I think I mentioned it before that game just feels like a very flashy game, but not one that has a lot of substance to it to me from the demo specifically. So um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to see if I can figure out whether or not, that game eventually evolves into something that feels a bit more um, substantial. And I think there's a lot of space in the world that ends with you to also kind of catch my attention in that way as well. Just that what they've shown in the demo so far has not caught my attention, unfortunately. Or rather, it caught my attention, but it's not caught my attention enough for me to go buy it, I think. Because <laughs> I think, you know, given, 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 if you sat, if I had this video game today, I probably would sit down and play through all of it. Um, so, so yeah. And I also played a bit more God Eater 3, uh, in the multiplayer group or whatever. So that was, uh, still, still working on that, playing with a bunch of burst arts. I've been mainly with the, I've been using the Heavy Moon, which is like a big scythe kind of, not scythe weapon. It's more like a ring weapon with a blade on it, but it also like transforms into an axe. So I've been playing around with the axe transformation more, and it definitely, um, that axe transformation definitely feels like, a strong component of that 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 weapon it's just a matter of having the right skills on it so you can utilize it in smart ways where if you're just like using the base moveset of the of the the heavy moon i don't think that axe component really makes a lot of sense just because it's so slow but when you start applying modifiers to it and things like that i think that's where the, the axe uh kind of starts to shine on on that moveset i did notice when i was playing god eater and i think also in the world ends with you as well um my PlayStation 4 controller, yet again, is having analog stick issues, and I'm not really sure why this is still a problem with me and PlayStation 4 controllers. I know people who have not had these issues, but I, I consistently just end up in a problem where, where the sticks just start drifting, right? Um, and I think, you know, I guess analog stick drift is definitely something that's, that's more common between the Switch and, and things like that. Um, but some of my friends who play a lot of PlayStation 4 stuff, probably more than me, um, have not really had an issue and I'm like I've sent in three controllers now I think at this point um, I don't think this one's under warranty anymore so I think I'll just have to get another controller which will suck um, but you know I don't know I, I I'm not sure maybe I'm doing something wrong I don't really have this problem with most of my other controllers um, so it's not nothing off the top of my head at the very least uh, I think GameCube controllers I've had problems with in the past but th that was stuff that was like when I was a kid that they started developing problems uh, I haven't really had any new GameCube controller problems um, 
since then. I think a lot of that has to do with like how I was transporting controllers. I was just kind of throwing them in bags a lot um, and, and things like that. So I, I don't know about that specifically, but these PlayStation controllers are just sitting in my house and being used for, you know, whatever. So I don't know, but looks like I'll have to look at replacing the controller again. Uh, I'm going to guess this one's out of warranty. I'll double check, but unfortunately... That's that is life and time. I don't know. I wonder if the PlayStation 4 has a lot of other controllers it's compatible with. Because I imagine once the PlayStation 4 goes out of production, uh, these controllers are going to get more expensive. Controllers are just really expensive these days, unfortunately. So, so yeah. When you get into the news, let's get into the news this week. Near. We talked about it last week. I did not make that podcast clip like I said I would. Whoopsie. <laughs> Again, just a time thing, but uh, I would like to still put that out, but I don't I don't know. I'm not going to really focus on getting that out. So uh, if, if it happens, cool. If not, cool, cool, cool. You can still listen to my thoughts on the last week's podcast if you had any interest about the near stuff because that is exactly what that video would set be. Um, but the uh, near replicant apparently sold 1 million copies, which seems less than I thought it would be. Automata uh, apparently sold uh, 5 million or 6 million copies. So, so it's about 5 million less. So um, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see, you know, how the lifetime sales of this game will end up being. I know the PC version of replicant was, was also kind of poo poo as well this time around as, as it was with Automata initially. So uh, maybe over time, things will start to pick up a bit as that version gets a bit more, uh, sound and you know goes on discount and things like that but I was kind of surprised that the um the one well one million is still a lot for for a franchise that was basically you know not on anybody's market or uh, uh radar at all until the last release one million is probably still still a solid number but still a little less than I thought it'd be I, for some reason I thought it'd be a lot more than that but Maybe just my perception of how big the near community is is very skewed just because of the people I follow and things like that. It's worth mentioning the uh, the brother and father near comparison video got picked up. Uh, somebody who's kind of very relevant in the in that space or very relevant, you know, as, as relevant as you can be as for an account dedicated to to to, to Papa Near. <laughs> uh, so, like this is my specific angle, my specific gimmick. This one specific version of a video game in this franchise. And this is what my account's about, which total respect to that. I'm not making fun of that. That is, that is hundred percent cool. Um, uh, they, they, they apparently retweeted my video and everything. So it got a, a little bit more traction. So thank you for people who again, watch that video. I definitely came out of that video a little down cause it didn't really go the direction I thought it would in terms of views. Not that I thought I was going to get like a ton, ton of you like the Battle and Wonder World one, but I kind of expected to get more, but you know, that's what happens. Don't chase release windows. It's annoying i hate chasing release windows i don't like doing that that's a, that is one thing i think i can confidently say is something i don't really want to do a lot on this channel if possible um just because it's it's a very stressful thing especially to do it right because obviously i could have came out and just dumped my you know vomited my thoughts on the internet about it but yeah you know, i wanted to do it right and do it well that's the point of those featured videos right so so yeah uh, there's also, I think this was actually announced last, or not announced, but leaked last week, but I, I just forgot to include on the list. But in uh, Australia, the uh, ratings board rated uh, Castlevania Advance Collection. Uh, I don't think it said any particular platforms yet, but I would assume, you know, probably Switch, PS4, maybe Xbox, but Switch and PS4 I think would probably be most likely. Sure, Limited Run Games will get their rights to, to print that game out, you know, let you order it six months from now and then ship it to you two years later. <laughs> uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat excited for this collection that I'm also a little, a little disappointed on both sides. Uh, the Castlevania advanced games are great. I love, um, you know, 
Area of Sorrow to me is the best Castlevania game in terms of Metroidvanias, even if it's like the presentation's a little bit lacking because of it being on the Game Boy Advance uh, and like the music being kind of, you know, not the greatest sounding. Um, I think it's a really strong version of that game. And I think when it comes to gameplay, it's definitely uh, the most solid one of those types of Castlevanias for sure. Um, and then Circle of the Moon and, and Harmony of Dissonance, I think, are really interesting pieces in, in, in Castlevania's history. Um, they have their own kind of unique gimmicks in a way that I, I think I think I really appreciate Circle of the Moons, but I have not really given Harmony of Dissonance the time it needs and the consideration it needs for me to say if I appreciate that game or not. I do know there's kind of like a split between whether or not Circle of the Moon or Dissonance is the, the better uh, Castlevania game, uh, since I think both are pretty, uh, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but... You know, people put them on different levels, I think, in terms of the quality of them and things like that. But what what I, you know, these games were re-released on the Wii U. And I know the Wii U is not like everybody's, you know, not everybody has a Wii U, right? Um, but I, I feel like that I would rather have them, have had them do a DS collection first. But I get it. If you're going to do one or the other initially, do the advanced ones first, then release the DS ones later. I just want to hope, my hope is that we, we pretty much have a commitment that we'll get the DS ones released on a on another console because those those games are really good um again some some variation in quality there specifically with um portrait of ruin i think people some people really like that game some people really don't but you know i think that's a, a great collection i would have loved for all six to be on one collection it kind of makes sense the castle portable castlevania collection or portable metroidvania collection essentially uh but you know that is six different video games so i, it, I guess it depends on how they sell it right um, but either way, you know, even if, even if it's 60 bucks for the whole collection, each of those games are worth $20 in my opinion. So, um, uh, at least in my opinion, I think they're, they're, they're pretty solid and good games. Uh, admittedly have not played many of them since I was like not even 20 yet. So <laughs> it's, it's been a long time. I did actually, um, I didn't, I didn't bring it over here to show you, but it, I looked, I showed it off on the stream and I put it on my Twitter, but I did actually import some Castlevania 64 Dojin goods recently. There's a, um, a, uh, artist I follow who, kind of does a lot of, um, I guess, fan fiction kind of stuff around uh, the bad ending of Carrie Fernandez's story where she basically ends up getting married to Malice kind of thing. And it's kind of like a fun little thing to explore, I feel like, a fun little alternate, uh, you know, ending timeline to kind of flesh that out. Um, but it's very cute uh, uh, art and everything like that. And, and they also sent me some, like, glasses cleaners with some cute art on there too. Uh, I, I flipped through it a bit. Obviously, I can't read Japanese um, but it, it seems like it's it's a pretty cute little thing. Just a lot of more interaction kind of stuff. I think this is pretty common if you've ever been around um, any kind of you know character based fan base in a lot of ways. Like I have a book for Freedom Wars about Kaiwul Silva, which is like a tutorial character in that game, and that's it. But if you go like read that book, it's very much not about doing anything too substantial, but showing these characters interact and and flesh them out in a way that doesn't the game doesn't really ever touch on because you know they, they have a limited role or in the case of Castlevania 64 that bad ending is the end of the game right so you don't really get to see how that that kind of relationship flushes out um uh to that so very cute thing um one thing that's also speaking of Castlevania 64 and and has made me I've been thinking a lot about Castlevania 64 recently um and you know previously I've, I've done a Castlevania 64 review and I really wanted to do a Legacy of Darkness review, but I really had a hard time finding much of a reason to justify a Legacy of Darkness review, specifically, just because, you know, reviews are a bit of a different thing. Sometimes I have to have, like, a, if I if I want to do a review, sometimes I need to have something specific I want to say, which is probably why, like, the Fantasy Star Online Episode 3 review never really happened, because 
I, my, my my end goal of that review is pretty much like this game this game's fine this game's cool i kind of like some of the concepts here but i'm not like experiencing card games enough to say anything about them but i think it's a fun thing right um and sometimes i feel like that's not substantial enough to really dedicate a whole featured review for sometimes i want to like make sure i have something specific i'm trying to go after with those featured reviews um and i think legacy of darkness has something with that but i did it took me a long time to figure out what that was and i think i do want to make a video that is very much focused on the differences between legacy of darkness and castlevania 64 not just for comparative sakes but because there's a lot of people out there that will say don't play Castlevania 64, just play Legacy of Darkness. Legacy of Darkness is only an improvement over Castlevania 64, which is, in my eyes, very wrong. Um, there are things about Legacy of Darkness that are an improvement, but there are things about Legacy of Darkness that are also worse. And I personally prefer the original Castlevania 64, even though Legacy of Darkness probably plays better. Weird, Ben. You like the game that plays worse? That's a strange thing for you, right? <laughs> no. Um, but but there's something you said about the pacing of Castlevania 64 that's very different from Legacy of Darkness. So that's something I'd like to do eventually. But I've, I've had a lot of videos on my mind recently. So I, I don't want to get too, dop too deep in the, the thoughts of that. But I, I think that is something that I would like to do sooner rather than later. But, you know, I'm kind of knee deep in some other videos at the moment. So it's not going to happen immediately at the very least. A um, couple of last news stories, or one last news story specifically, although it's kind of two bundled into one. Um, one is uh, Overwatch is adding cross-play support. I will never play Overwatch again, probably, but I think the big thing is just to highlight the fact that yet another shooter on a platform is getting, uh, actually has, add, has had cross-play added, so you can do it today, I believe, um, if you want to play between different consoles, which I think is very cool. It's kind of interesting that this is a shooter-specific thing that seems to keep happening. don't really see, like, fighting games trying to implement these aspects. I could be wrong, but that, that seems to be, like, the particular uh, space that seems to be going with these, these cross-play situations. I, I imagine in the case of shooters, you know, the number of people playing in a match is, a, or needed to play a match is much higher, so you're, you're doing a lot for your, t your um, game in terms of, like, match times and things like that you know, bringing these, these, these players together versus like a fighting game. As long as one other person's playing, you know, you're going to match up. Right. So, so I think that might be maybe the incentive or part of the reason why we've seen it more in this space rather than any other space. Um, but uh, one other news story is that basically Sony was saying that they um, expect more cross play in the future and that they are trying to encourage developers to do cross play, which, um, you know, <laughs> I want to believe to some degree, uh, but from from what we found out in more recent months about Sony's crossplay, you know they have a financial incentive that is, or rather, I shouldn't say they have a financial incentive. Obviously, Xbox has a financial incentive of hey, like let people play, uh, let our people play against people on PlayStation Five because we're the smaller console and it's gonna you know keep our player bases alive, so people won't you know only buy the console their friends have, basically. They'll, they'll also be okay buying an Xbox and still be able to play with their friends on their platforms. So there's definitely a financial incentive for everybody in here because that is that is 100% what these businesses are doing. <laughs> but but in the case of Sony's situation, they have like a direct financial incentive of like, hey, if you have a certain number of people playing on the platform, we get a cut of all microtransactions. So I could see that they are trying to push that harder. Um, but if they're still tr like making that stance of, hey, we're going to charge you more for crossplay. Um, you know, I think that that is something that makes me a little, little less confidence in the words or the, the, the messaging they put out there recently where they're like, yeah, yeah, more crossplay, more crossplay. We want developers to do more crossplay. And I'm like, no, nah, 
get rid of that get rid of the 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 the, the sony tax on that and i'd probably feel a little bit better about uh that immediately all that stuff is is stuff that came out of documents from a court case so maybe it's not even in place anymore but i get the feeling it probably is especially with the borderlands thing going down uh fairly recently where they aren't going to be doing crossplay with sony because of reasons that they would not disclose but it's probably because they want money so yeah again sony is very much doing the everything everything company companies do i'm not specifically saying but sony is the the major like any any worse than in these other companies they just happen to be in first place so they have the ability to shove their weight around and bully people a bit more and whoever's in first place typically likes to do that um feel like i end every podcast on that note recently <laughs> just like like i'm gonna bully so- sony but then remind everybody that it's not just sony it's, it's it's just how this space works right so so yeah anyways that's it for this week in terms of news and stuff i've been playing uh in terms of stuff coming up i'm not gonna have any short videos coming up maybe some of the casual or the clips that i mentioned earlier like clips out of the the streams for the reviews or clips out of the the podcast i'm not 100 sure what i'm gonna do with those at the moment um but i i think i'd still like to put something like that out fairly soonish my real big focus has been getting done um you know finalizing the pcfx video script i have not worked on that nearly as much as i have wanted to um so i want to put some more time into that and get that to the position where i'm at least ready to start editing a video for that um and the other thing is i went ahead and started working on an amiibo festival video i've got the script pretty much done for that i just well it's written out and it's been kind of you know, rolled over a handful of times and reworked a little bit. So it's, it's pretty much in, in pretty good condition. I just got to do some more of the finer editing and things like that. Um, I really wanted to do that video mainly because, um, one, I think I have, um, I don't know if an interesting position on Amiibo Festival, but I had kind of an, a unique experience with Amiibo Festival. Maybe not unique is the right word, but but how I ended up coming out feeling about Amiibo Festival ended up being different than other people, despite my opinion on the game itself probably fairly being similar to everybody else. So I, I, I feel like there's value in me in talking about that game a little bit more in a, in a more featured content kind of way. We, I know we've talked about that game in like a casual review before as well, and I've streamed it before and things like that too. So if, if you've watched those streams and reviews, you probably already know what I'm going to say, but just kind of tightening it up, put it in a video, packaging it up, and it's something I can put together fairly quickly. Um, the PCFX stuff, I'm not quite ready to, to you know, put that stuff together quite yet at the moment. So I, I wanted to get something that I can at least get forward and, and hopefully put out sooner rather than later. Cause it's been a month since the Mineer video already. Didn't realize how long it's been already. I was like, ah, God dang it. Um, so we shall see about that. Otherwise, um, I, for, if you're looking for upcoming stuff, the big thing is just, I have the stream this week at 7 uh, PM Pacific time on Thursday. Um, we finished up Dirge of Cerberus. Uh, so we, we were going to start pack and roll, but I think we're going to do a variety stream. I have a stack of games that have been sitting on my Kotatsu that I just need to, uh, you know, put a little bit of time into before I can put on my shelves just to make sure a, they're working B they have like a, a general idea of what the game is. Um, and then, so we'll probably be doing a variety stream. where We just kind of pick games through that throughout that for a couple hours and uh and then focus on that and then we'll get into pack and roll we'll probably play the wii version of pack and roll i think um not the ds version the only big difference is well there's there's differences between them but the the big difference is is that there's no story in the wii version of pack and roll it is only gameplay uh it sounds like the the final boss may have been changed as well although i played pack and roll when it first came out in like 2006 or something like that 2005 so I don't have a great memory of that game as is already. So, so yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for coming. OneControlPro.com is the website. Uh, just a reminder, I am I do have the coffee up. So if you want to donate money there, you can do that. Somebody donated um, uh, enough to finish off our previous goal. So I actually have our um, 
clash or clash um flash card reader here that we picked up it ended up being quite a bit cheaper than i was expecting uh because i ended up going with a different one so i ended up putting that money the, the remaining money towards uh active life for the wii uh power pad game on the wii so i would like to check that out and also maybe stream it so i figured that would be maybe a good new donation goal for that so if you want to donate some money and we want to see me stream power pad games on the wii um, then you can go ahead and donate some money there. The link will be in the description. Um, and then, yeah. Otherwise, uh, thank you again for everybody's donated so far. Anybody who likes, watches, likes everything, shares things, that's always a big help too. I really appreciate it. So anyways, thank you. Hope you have a great week. Bye.